Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Uh, we hope you guys are enjoying your Christmas season. Parties are going on. You're shopping for loved ones. Uh, Hallmark movies, I've got to confess, I started watching this year with my wife. And uh, Mingle All the Way is legit. What a great movie. And I wish I was kidding. It's a great movie. It's like a cross between How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and The Proposal. But none, let's just keep moving on. You know, as a kid, it was like Christmas just took forever to get here, right? And uh, it would just drag along, but you always knew it was coming. Around November, you start hearing those Christmas songs. It might be songs that you hear in your house. It might be songs you hear at a, at a shopping center or a mall or a store. But it definitely is that season and time that we're listening to these songs that speak about the hope and the promise of a coming Savior. Uh, as an adult, it's like, guys, guess what? We are 10 days away from Christmas. And uh, so get out that Amazon Prime and get your stuff sent to your house. There's a lot of great songs that have been written. Uh, about, about the story of Christmas. Certainly, O Holy Night. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. How many of you guys like that one? Hark the Herald. It, it, it was originally written like this. Hark how all the welkin sings. And that was by John Wesley and his buddy, his fellow preacher, George Whitfield, changed it, thank God, to Hark the Herald Angels Sings. Can you imagine going to a school production and hearing the kids say, Hark how all the welkin sings. There's bad ones too, uh, Christmas shoes for sure, uh, certainly Marshmallow World, it just gets under my skin. Uh, last Christmas was on our top list, I have no idea why it made our top list, but that's the all-time worst song ever. Last Sunday though, we started our series. Now these are the first Christmas songs ever written. We read about Mary's song and how Mary had, had uh, met with an angel, the angel Gabriel, and, Mary, and, and, and the angel Gabriel told her, called her the blessed one, that she was the chosen one who was going to, uh, though she was a virgin, engaged to Joseph, that she would actually miraculously through the Holy Spirit would conceive and bear the child, the Son of God. And as Mary found out that news, the angel said, your, your cousin Elizabeth, an older cousin, uh, is also with child. And so Mary went to go visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, which we're going to read about the song Zach- Zacharias sang. Uh, and, and it was this moment that the Holy Spirit came upon her and in, in, in uh and indwelt John the Baptist, and he, and he leapt within her womb, and she began to you know, praise God that the mother of her Lord would come and visit her. And it was there that Mary began this song. It's called Mary's Magnificate. It uh, comes from the Latin word magnify, that she magnified the Lord. Well, this week now, uh, second up on our soundtrack is the song of Zechariah. Zechariah had... Um, had heard also from an angel, but he didn't respond the way Mary did, and he suffered a little bit because of it. What we find from Zechariah's song is that God had planned Christmas a long time ago. Zechariah, he, he calls attention to the promises in God's word that God would visit his people, and that's what he sings about. And it was time that God would act now on the promises that he had already pro- given as he was said he was going to send a Messiah into the world. So Elizabeth was now pregnant. Her husband was a priest, and how this all came to be is that he was in, in the temple and he was lighting the incense, and that's when an angel met him and certainly freaked him out. And his song is called the Benedictus. It's, it's uh, from the Latin word, praise be to God, is where it comes from. 
And, and, and so here they are in their, their, their kind of their golden age of their life, right? And they were barren. They had no children. And the angel says that God is going to bless you and Elizabeth with a child. Now, I don't know what you're thinking. You're in the golden ages of your life, right? That is a blessing? I don't know. But it was for them. And so in his service in the temple, the angel met him and told him that he was going to have a child, and this child was going to be a part of the story of the Savior coming, that he would be the forerunner to go and announce it to the nation of Israel after a 400-year period of silence between the last chapter of Malachi and the beginning of your New Testament, the book of Matthew. That's a 400-year period, uh, period on that white little page there. And it was that, that prophecy that your son is going to be the, the, the one to herald to the nation of Israel to call them back and announce that the Messiah is now here. He didn't believe it. He's like, how is this possible? Like, I'm old, my wife is old. And the angel says, because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute and unable to speak until the day that he is born. And so as you might imagine, he was no, couldn't speak and came out and everyone's like, hey, what's up? And he's like, you know, doing sign language, throwing gang signs. I don't have no idea. But basically saying that they realized he had saw a vision, goes home, wife gets pregnant, and now we find ourselves in this moment where, where uh, John the Baptist is being dedicated. It's in Luke's gospel, chapter 1 is where I want you to be this morning, uh, beginning in verse uh, 64. There was this kind of like dialogue on, what are you going to name Elizabeth? We know that Zechariah can't speak. And, and so she says, his name is John. And they're like, you don't have anyone in your family named John. In those days, you named your child after someone like the father or somebody in your family. And, and so they asked, you know, Zechariah, like, hey, so what do you want to name him? So he writes down, his name is John. And in that moment, he actually opened his mouth. And it tells us in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open. And his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And here comes Zechariah's song. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. Here's this song that, that Zechariah began to proclaim about the promises that were attached to this Messiah that was to come. He had time to reflect. 
as he would read his Bible after this moment, like he can't have a conversation with his wife. And so he, he spent a lot of time reading his Bible and studying the prophecies about this coming Messiah and also his own son's role in the proclamation that this child would, uh, this, this, this Messiah would come and John was the forerunner for it. This child that he, he and Elizabeth had, John the Baptist, he was very important to the story of Christmas and the Messiah coming into the world as he was to proclaim, hey guys, the Messiah is here. So Zechariah gives us, what I want to point out to you guys is four reasons for the arrival of the Messiah and what it really means to the world. If you know with me, first of all, number one, if you're jotting notes down, and by the way, we have some fresh brand new uh, uh, little journals for you. They're for free. They're on your way in. We got rid of our bulletins. We're trying to do our best to save the environment. So instead of giving you one sheet of paper, we bought 300 pieces of paper to save the environment. First of all, we see that the Messiah's role in the world would be a redeemer. The Messiah will redeem us. And, and, and what it means is to pay a price to set someone free. That's really what it means. To redeem means to buy something back, something that was lost, to rescue out of something. So you think of maybe a slave that had been, you know, uh, under harsh taskmasters that they would be paid and set free, or to release a prisoner from prison doors. That's what Zechariah is really saying about the Messiah, is that he's going to come redeem and buy back those that were given over to slavery. We, we, if you know the story of Exodus, you know the story of Israel and how, how God had allowed them to, to be in, in the nation of, of the Egypt and, and how they grew and grew and grew. And then uh, all of a sudden the Pharaoh that had favor upon the nation of Israel, now they have a new Pharaoh. And, and, and this is the time of Moses and Aaron and sort of this, this moment where you know, God would rescue the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, out of their enslavement. And it really is kind of a foreshadow of what happens to a human being, though you might not be enslaved physically, humanity's been enslaved to sin from the very beginning. And here we see the Messiah's role would be this, this rescuer, this redeemer. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, began to talk about this. And at the moment that he went to the synagogue, uh, they gave him the scroll, knowing that he's a rabbi and that he's a, a figure that God seems to be raising up. It was Jesus who took the scroll and he unrolled it to the place of Isaiah. And he began to read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And Jesus rolled that scroll back up. He sat down and he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. And at that moment, they knew that this was the Messiah. Many rejected him, but that's what Jesus came to do, to buy us back out of slavery. So he says, he's a redeemer. The Lord has visited us for this very purpose, to redeem his people. Number two, we read the role of the Messiah. The, the Messiah will deliver us from our enemies. The Messiah will deliver us from our enemies. Now, uh, certainly the nation of Israel had and still has their enemies, and, and, and there will be a time that w when all of the, the, the nation of Israel's enemies will be eradicated and they will no longer suffer. But this was speaking of a spiritual enemy for certain, 
for the nation of Israel and for humanity. He says he needs raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, in the Bible, a horn symbolizes power and victory, right? Power and victory. And so this idea that the Messiah would deliver us from our enemies, it's a, it's a picture of an army that's about ready to be overtaken and, and captured and, and sent into captivity. And at that last moment, this conquering king comes and actually uh, destroys the enemies of this particular army, and they're set free and they're delivered and they're saved. I was thinking this week about the, uh, the battle of uh, Helm's Deep. If you're any Lord of the Ring fans here today, like, it, like the sunrise comes up and Gandalf comes down. I don't know if he was gray, white, pink, I don't know at that moment, but does anyone understand what I'm talking about right now? Do you read your Bibles? It's right here. No, I'm just kidding. It's not in the Bible. It's in the two towers. This moment in time where this victor will come and deliver the nation of Israel from their enemies. These word pictures that Zechariah gives us is very true and very accurate. We were sold into slavery and he came to buy us out of slavery, giving up and sacrificing his own life. We were ensnared and cat held captive by an enemy. And the greatest enemy is Satan himself. John tells us, the, the, one of the disciples in 1 John chapter 3, he says this, that the Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, he says, it's speaking of, of human beings that hear the gospel, he says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When a person trusts Christ for salvation, when they come to their senses, as Paul describes, and escape the snare of the devil, they're delivered from Satan's grip, his power, and certainly sin's power too, and now they're invited to be a part of his kingdom where they will actually serve in the kingdom of God. We've been delivered out of captivity spiritually, and now we are free in the kingdom of God with our King, Jesus. Freedom, it, it, the Bible tells us, Paul said, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free in the book of Galatians. We've been set free. Zechariah begins to proclaim before Jesus is actually born. Guys, God has been planning this all along, that a Redeemer will come because we have been uh, sold into slavery and need to be purchased out of it. A deliverer will come and deliver us from the power of the enemy being held captive to do his will. Who would this deliverer be? Well, Zechariah proclaims and says that God has spoken this from the very beginning of time, that he would be a part of David's family. And, and that he, was, he says that he was foretold by all the prophets. All these different voices in unison have been proclaiming that God is going to be faithful and keep to his promise, and he's going to send a redeemer. He's going to send a deliverer. And it's going to be the savior of the world. Zechariah recognizes that God has been planning Christmas all along when he uses these words, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. You see, God set this in motion from the very beginning. We read that, that in the book of Genesis, when, sin, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we see the, the repercussions of sin, death would come because of sin. We see the beginning state, we see the beginning of hatred and murder. The very first murder happens just a chapter later. We see all these 
bad problems that have happened because of sin. And, and there was this little prophecy that, that, that God spoke to Eve, and he talked about that, that the serpent, that, that one day you're going to have a child, speaking of through her, there's going to be a child that will be born, and it will be the Messiah. And it says the serpent will strike his heel, speaking of the cross, but this son will crush the serpent's head. That's what Jesus Christ has come to do. And not only did he say from the very beginning, but even before the world was created, God set in motion that he would send his son to be the remedy for our problem, to redeem and set free those who are held captive. The deliverer was promised to Abraham too. God had given Abraham a promise and said that through your seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That one day Abraham, though he and Sarah didn't have any children yet, they also too had a golden you know, age you know, child, a, a blessing that came to them. Uh, he was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. So those of you who are like 30 having children, you're like, I'm so exhausted. Just wait. <laughs> I'm 49, and uh, as a grandpa, did you guys know I was a, yes, you already knew that. I get to see Baby Shark today, so I'm super pumped about it, but uh, hence the, um, the, the Christmas sweater. Uh, I'm 49, and I'm like, dude, I can't even imagine waking up except for a glass of water. I can't imagine if there's like some human saying, no, 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 you don't understand. You need to come in now and change my diaper and give me some food, right? It's like those carolers outside, right? Bring us some figgy pudding and bring it right here. That is, wow, aggressive neighbors. Do you guys know that song? Like, he's like going... You need to calm down about this figgy pudding and bring it right here. Like, we're not leaving until we get some. Okay, just give him the friggin' pudding, right? Figgy pudding. There we go. <laughs> All right, we're going to carol next year. We're going to change the words, right? Bring us some friggin' pudding. Let's get back to our deliverer. Here's the family tree. Here's the family tree. It was the Messiah was going to be a Jew. God gave Abraham a promise. He's the father of the nation of Israel. And then he had a child, Isaac, and then Jacob. And then Jacob had sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and we know that God has set that in motion. We can see that. This is, by the way, how, we could, how they could have had looked at their history books and said, you can't be the Messiah because we can't track down your lineage. So we see he's going to be a Jew from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob. We also see in Scripture that he's going to be from the tribe of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah, he's going to be from the family and lineage of David. He's to be born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. And he's going to be born of relatives of King David. Both Mary and Joseph were relatives of King David. That's why we'll read next week that they went to Bethlehem to register their, uh, you know, their their. Um, what do you call that? Whatever you just said is exactly right. What do you, what do you, uh, when you take record of who lives here, thank you. You know, the second service is going to be way better than this one. So, by the Virgin Mary. And he says that, that this deliverer will come and bring salvation that you and I might serve the Lord without fear, in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Freedom to now serve the Lord. You've been purchased out of slavery, the Messiah is going to do. He's going he's to deliver you from the power of the enemy, which was Satan who held us captive. 
And now you're free. Now everyone who trusts Christ for salvation is free to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. This is a whole different ballgame for, for people that became followers of Jesus Christ because religion is outside stuff that tries to get in the inside. You can't do that. You can't. A Pharisee was a, a person who externally lived such a great righteous life but Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder somebody, but I say that you're not to have hatred in your heart. How do we change hate in our heart unless a living God comes and takes up residence and gives us a true holiness that we can begin to live out right actions, right? You have heard it said, you shall not uh, commit adultery, but I have told you, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. These are heart issues. How do we serve the Lord without fear? How do we serve him in holiness and righteousness? We've got to be set free. It's not religion. It's not do all these things. It's, it's been done by a deliverer and a redeemer and a savior. And when he comes and takes up residence in your heart, boy, that's when you just go, God, I can't change who I am. I need to surrender to you and allow you to come in holiness in my heart and begin to live this out in my life. And that's how we serve the Lord without fear in this life. We're now in his kingdom to serve him. We're not to serve ourselves or our own will. You know what happens when we begin to serve ourselves and our own will? We go back into bondage. He's come to set us free to serve him in his kingdom. And by the way, he invites you and I into his kingdom living in life and that's where the good stuff is, man. When you say, you know what? It's no longer about me. It's not what I'm trying to control. It's not what I want to do. God, I want to serve you without fear and holiness and righteousness all of our days. His serving the Lord like that as the deliverer comes and set us free, you would find, I will find, that that's actually living your best life now. Like that's where you go, I can't think of a greater life to live. Do your problems go away? No. Do you still have difficulty in life? Of course. Will all of these problems go away this side of heaven? Never. But you'll find that when you get into that groove of, Lord, you've come to redeem me, I'm redeemed. My sins are gone. Lord, you've come to deliver me. Satan has no more power over me. You read Romans chapter 6 and read about what happened because of the cross. God, now I get to serve you with my whole life in holiness and righteousness, delivered from our enemies. In verse 30, or 76, he turns to this child. Think about him holding this baby. He hasn't talked for, you know, nine months now, maybe 10 months. And he's holding this child, and he begins to, to speak directly to this baby. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Such promise, such hope, uh, purpose wrapped up in this little bundle of joy. What a great thing to speak over our own children. Of course, our kids aren't going to be John the Baptist. You might get a call from the principal saying, hey, man, Johnny keeps baptizing people in the fountain out front. Like, you might want to talk to him. What an example for us parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts to speak over them, to pray over them.
Go out and fulfill the Lord's will for your life. Live out God's will for your life, little buddy. I can't think of any blessing to speak over our little ones in that. That he would go before Jesus to prepare the hearts of the nation of Israel. As he was, Jesus says, among all the prophets, he was the greatest. As he was at this beginning of the dawning of a new era, the age of grace. And here John the Baptist gets this, this, this incredible calling. And by the way, in a similar way, now we are to take the message too, to give knowledge of salvation through Jesus. This, this, this redeemer, this deliverer. Here's something else that we learn about what the Messiah is going to do in the message that John the Baptist is going to proclaim. He's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of the sins. Zechariah prophesies and sings out the song that the Messiah will cancel our debt of sins. The result of God visiting and redeeming and rescuing us from our enemies is forgiving us of our sins and freedom to live for him. Serving the Lord without fear, it begins with God providing complete and total forgiveness. We were sold into slavery. We were held captive by the devil. And by the way, we are personally responsible for breaking God's laws. We owed a debt. Our sin stood before this, was this barrier between us and God. This is what makes the Christmas story the greatest story ever told, that you and I had so rebelled against God, we weren't looking for God, but God all along had been planning Christmas for you and for me, that he would redeem us out of slavery, he would rescue us from our enemies, and he would cancel out the debt of sin that you owed and that I owed and that all this world owed. Our sins deserve God's punishment, but God sent a Savior and not a judge. Our debt of sin was too much to overcome. Human beings have been trying for years to sort of do away with their sin, make, giving it different names and terminology. The problem is, is that you still have a guilty conscience. You want to know why you and I feel guilt? Because we are guilty. <laughs> We've broken God's laws. And here this, this promise of a Messiah who redeem, he'll deliver, he'll cancel this debt of sin. It was too much for human beings to overcome. Trying harder can't do it. We were spiritually bankrupt. Totally unable to pay that debt of sin. And he canceled it on the cross. It's been said that he would pay a debt he did not owe. He lived a perfect life because we owed a debt we could not pay. Since penalty has been paid because this one has come and canceled out our debt of sin, and since power has been broken as well. And here John would go out and give knowledge of salvation. What is that knowledge? Forgiveness. It means the removal of the guilt because of our wrongdoing. The idea that, that he would, uh, to forgive, there might, might have a different word in your translation of the, Bi of the Bible, but the idea is that he would send it away as debt, completely covered. God would provide a way for every sin that we've ever committed to be forgiven. Our past sin, our present sin. Any, any people struggle today? You're like, you know, man, I'm really trying to live for Jesus Christ. And then, and then you get out of bed. And you're like, right? It's failure. This week, I'm going to actually be super kind to that person. The Lord's calling me to love them. And then you just like, 
you know, whatever. You just, you just lose it. And he's like, oh. God has covered our past. He's covered your present sins. And by the way, he's already taken care of your future sins. I, I hate to, to tell you, you're going to continue this journey of progressing as a follower of Christ. And just when you think like, man, I think I've got it all down. You know, as a new Christian, I was like, like, stop cussing, right? Stop cussing. So I got the Christian dictionary of like how to cuss as a Christian. You know, dag nabbit and oh golly and gee and shucks and whatever. And then, you know, like, oh, let's get rid of this. Let's stop smoking weed, right? Little did I know that they would pass laws that later on you can do that. Let's stop, let's stop drinking. I was 18 years old. And I'm like, man, I mean, Lord, I'm only 19 now. You, like, you're all done, I guess. And then that's when the real work comes in. That stuff that hides in, 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 in the little nooks and crannies of your life and your heart. You know what I mean? And the light of God's word comes. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. And you're just like, wow, am I that bad? And your family's going, yes, yes, you are. It's amazing that God would already take care of your sins, past, present, and future. That's what makes this one of the, the greatest season because it's amplified in the songs of, of the, the soundtrack of Christmas when you hear the songs, not the funky, funky Christmas stuff, but the, you know what I mean, Oh Holy Night, and Silent Night, and, and, and then the four songs that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. God would make Jesus, who never sinned, to become sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus, he grew up, this eight-pound, six-ounce baby grew up, and he, at 30 years old, began his ministry, proclaiming repentance and forgiveness is now available. But it was because he was eventually going to lay his life down on the cross. And when he hung on the cross, this great exchange happened where God poured all the wrath that sin deserved, your sin, my sin, Jeffrey Dahmerson, every other crazy person who's, who's ruined lives, and he, paid, and, he, and he took the, he absorbed all of God's wrath for sin. And in exchange, he canceled our debt of sin. In exchange, he filled your bank account, your spiritual bank account, with all of the righteousness that Jesus Christ himself possesses. That's what Jesus came to do. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He tells us in Ephesians 2, but God who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that he, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God has always had Christmas on his mind. John found that out. But you know what? He always had you on his mind when he planned Christmas. He always had your salvation, your redemption, your deliverance, your debt of sin being canceled out. Sin was the barrier that was between us and God, and now you and I have access to have a relationship with Him. There's this last little cool image that John gives us, or that Zechariah gives us. He says this, because of the tender mercies of God, this love, this, this affection that God has for His creation whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
Here's the last little thing I want you to take away. The Messiah's arrival is the dawning of a new day. It's a day where it's possible for God and humanity to be brought back in relationship. And I love that image, the image of, uh, of, a, of a sunrise. Maybe you've been up all night long and, and you go outside or maybe you get up early and you go to work early and it's just like peaceful moments, right? And you just, you go outside and it's just dark, pitch black. And all of a sudden you just start to see that, that sun begin to radiate the sky and all the darkness fl- flees and the sun just shines and radiates everything that comes in this contact. That's what this, this idea is, is, that Jesus' arrival was going to fulfill a promise that Isaiah 9 tells us about the Messiah, that, that those who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and it begins to be fulfilled in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, as Jesus began his ministry in a particular region. Matthew quotes this passage in Isaiah 9, saying that, man, the Messiah has arrived, and he's like a sunrise that radiates and brings light in darkness he shines in the darkness. You know, darkness is, uh, as a kid, I used to be scared of the dark. That's why I sleep with a nightlight still. My brothers were cruel. They would, they would turn the hall light off, and then they would start getting on their tippy toes, and they would start acting like they were vampires, and they would say things like, Gordon, my fangs are growing. And I'm like going, I knew you were the devil, but now I know you're a vampire as well. <laughs> darkness. Represents sin, violence, hatred, all the worst that our world has become because of sin entering the world from the very beginning of time, actually, when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God. Shame is where darkness resides, or or shame resides where darkness is. And here the light of Christ comes and exposes our hearts and brings light and truth to set us free. We're given real life, and he says, and it guides our feet to the way of peace. It guides our feet to the way of peace. What a beautiful picture of, of, of what it means to be at peace with God. I love what Paul says in Romans 5, 1. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. Here's another translation. It's the Amplified Translation where it kind of describes the words a little bit uh, more effectively. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. This sunrise is like the dawning of a new day. It's this new day where we can have peace with God. We can be made right with God. I love what Paul describes. He says, behold, old things have been passed. All things have been made new. When the Messiah comes, Zachariah said, he's going to make all things new. Just like a sunrise changes the landscape of the land. It changes a person's life when the light of Christ comes and shines upon it. It's something wonderful that happens. And, and God through all these different roles the Messiah, Zechariah would said, would play, he invites us into this new life with him in his kingdom. I want you to think about this, the lyrics of the song, O Holy Night. By the way, all these great carols are just attached to Scripture. They're great things to kind of sing with your kids and point out in the Bible where we find these truths. But the song, O Holy Night, 
The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I love that line. Human beings, when you get right down to it, you talk to your friends about Jesus Christ. You talk to them about like where they, what they, you know, kind of what they struggle with. And everyone feels a, a sense of shame and guilt. A sense of worthlessness in some ways when you when you kind of just peel through the layers of their pride. And, and and here that's where we were. In sin, pining away, no ability to change our circumstance, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Two thousand years ago, God sent the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that you and I, that soul would sense the worth, not that you and I have something to offer God. The fact that you are so dearly loved that God would send his only son to take away your sin, my sin, redeem us, deliver us, cancel our debt of sin, and this new promise of hope of the sunrise emerging where, where you and I would experience God's forgiveness and mercy and we would experience the peace that we can have with God. The song goes on, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. He will show us the tender mercies in forgiving undeserved sinners like you and I. John's role is now our role to carry out. When you get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus tells his disciples and thus his followers that the, this message of forgiveness is to be proclaimed to the entire world. John's no longer doing that duty. We find his work in Scripture. But that becomes something for you and I to carry on. I love that song, uh, Go Tell It on the Mountains, right? Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Jesus is the light of the world, but he said that you and I would be the light and the salt of the earth. As, if, as, the, as the moon has no illumination in itself outside of the sun's rays hitting it, that's how you and I are the light of the world, Jesus said. That his life shining through you and I begins to illuminate the darkness of the people that you and I are surrounded with, especially during this Christmas season. Everyone, by the way, we see in Scripture meeting and encountering the story of Jesus or his arrival or the baby Jesus or the toddler Jesus that we see in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Everyone could not hold it in. It says they left and they began to proclaim the news about this newborn child. He's come to redeem us, to set us free, to cancel our debt of sin, and to make all things new in his kingdom. Can I encourage you this week? Next week, we're going to talk about the angel song, the shortest song in the gospel, of, uh, the gospel narrative. This week, we got 10 days. I can't think of a more uh, special time where people are open to the truth as they're singing these songs themselves. You're just going like, Mariah Carey, I don't think you know what this song means. You know what I mean? And your friends at parties and your friends in your house and gathering... What a great chance to say, hey, man, I just want you to know that, that Christmas is about Jesus, right? It's always a slam, right? He's the reason for the season. We're just like, wah, 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 wah. Sorry. Well, Merry Christmas anyway. I just want to give you a gift. 
It's actually humanity is the reason for the season. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Can I encourage you? Let the light of Christ shine through you, illuminating the hearts of those who sit in darkness this Christmas season. This week, ponder the songs. They're in the Gospel of Luke. Read through the narrative, chapter 1 and chapter 2. What a great opportunity to share with your kids or your grandkids or your nephews or nieces or your coworkers and say, hey, I want to encourage you to read through this. Look at what the Bible, the, the first Christmas song, sang about this newborn king that God was going to send to the world. Let this song ring out in your soul this week and the others as you listen to not only the songs and read about the songs in Scripture, but you sing the songs that proclaim his arrival to this planet. And to go and tell another that Jesus Christ is born. Perhaps this, this, time, this season, you know, as we think about uh, leaving this morning as missionaries to go and be lights of the world, maybe today you're reminded of something that Jesus has done for you. Maybe you know he's rescued you, and you find yourself trying to go back to those things that have ensnared you in your past. And do some business with the Lord as we worship God this morning. Maybe receive some prayer this morning. Maybe some of you guys are going through a, a difficult time. You know, life is the same, right, January 1st or December 25th, but something about the holidays kind of gets a megaphone of the problems of our family lives. Have you notice that? Kind of like, yeah, it's jacked up in April, but why does it feel way more jacked up in December? It's just the season. Maybe you need some love this morning. And go to the side. Get some prayer this morning. Let somebody help shoulder that burden and just pray for you as you head into the holiday season. Or maybe today's your day to come and surrender to Jesus, the Savior, where you need to find redemption and freedom and forgiveness of your sins and to start a new life, a fresh start in life because of Jesus Christ. Allowing him to become your savior. You know, God loves you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be forgiven and begin a relationship with him and to be right. Christmas is about you, my friend, that God so loved you that he sent his son to be the savior of the world so that you could be redeemed, you could be delivered, forgiven, and have a fresh start with God. How do you do that? Well, you just simply, you believe. Jesus said, he or she who believes would not perish but have eternal life. Part of belief is to say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have to humble myself and realize that I needed a Savior. You, you, you recognize that Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sins. And you humbly and willingly receive him into your life and into your heart as a Savior and the Lord of your life from this day forward. If you would like to have a relationship with Jesus today, and I'd love to give you a chance to do that. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love and, Lord, for your goodness. And, God, for giving us the soundtrack of Christmas that we find in Scripture. So many have written beautiful songs over the years and centuries, really, about your arrival, Jesus. And we're so grateful that we get reminded once again, every single day, not only from your word, but, Lord, from the songs that we hear, that, Jesus, you're the King. That, Jesus, you're the Savior. That, Lord, you are calling human beings to open up their lives to you. That you might forgive them and redeem them and make them new.